Welcome back to the CBJ Show. I am Brandon, and alongside me is a special guest, Ethan Zahn. He is um, most famous for his uh, work at grassroots soccer, but also uh, um, Survivor Champion, Survivor Africa. We'll start off with talking about soccer and a little bit about Ethan, and then we'll jump into a few more things um, where uh, the podcast takes us. So, I mean, first off, we always like to start off these interviews with getting a little, uh, getting to know the guests a little bit and um, your background. So if you want to just give a little background of um, what you started with soccer, with Survivor, I mean, anything you want to take it from there. You bet. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Last time I saw you, we were uh, gallivanting around Israel. <laughs> so uh, it's fun to be back here and uh, talking to you on your podcast. Yeah, my, uh, I grew up in uh, Lexington, Massachusetts, played soccer my whole life. I had two older brothers, so basically they would just stick me in the backyard and fire shots at my face. So uh, I had to protect myself and end up being a goalkeeper in soccer and played soccer my whole life um, in Massachusetts and state team. Went on to uh, play at Vassar College, which is a, uh, your dad went to Vassar College. So uh, we shared that and uh, had a fun career at Vassar College. Never thought in a million years I'd be playing anywhere after college, but it worked out in my favor. And I tried out for a couple uh, lower level professional teams here in the United States, made the team, was super psyched, got to travel the world, playing soccer, get paid to do it. And uh, one of those years that I was playing, uh, I played in the Zimbabwe Premier League. And uh, that's kind of where everything with grassroots soccer started to uh, happen. Um, we obviously, well, I obviously know, and a lot of people who may be fans of the show Survivor may have seen you, um, um, on the show with your t- two bowels of cancer, and then, um, you kind of use the winnings from Survivor Africa as kind of a springboard for, um, grassroots soccer. Just what was one, like, the experience, like, of Survivor, and then how were you able to use that as a springboard to create grassroots soccer? Well, I playing, so playing in Africa when I was playing in Zimbabwe, you know, I saw firsthand what was happening in the community and uh, HIV and AIDS was rampant at that time. This is around 1999 and 2000 before you were even born. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so I saw some of my teammates get sick with HIV. They were kicked off the team, ostracized from the community and ended up living the rest of their life in a really sad, lonely way. But at that time in my life, I didn't know what I could do about it. What can one person do to help this massive problem in all of Africa. So I, I didn't do anything, to be honest. C- continued playing soccer here in the United States. And now we're getting to around the year uh, 2001. And uh, on a whim, I tried out for the show Survivor. I sent in a videotape and I made it, which is really exciting. Never thought it was going to be me. But my Survivor happened to take place in Africa. And we did it in Kenya. And while I was playing the game of Survivor, I don't know if you, you probably watch the show once or twice, but if you're familiar with the game Survivor, there are these reward challenges. And I got to, and I won one, and they sent me to a little village in the middle of Kenya called Wamba. And I was hanging out in the parking lot of Wamba Hospital, and all these Kenyan children came out, and they were like touching my skin, play with my hair. They'd never seen anyone like me before. So we just started playing. Actually, I had a hacky sack. So we started playing hacky sack, and we're laughing and smiling and connecting through this sport that we both loved. Um, and before I left this, area of wamba in this parking lot i was hanging i asked the nurse like why are these kids just hanging out in this parking lot 
And she said, these kids are all HIV positive. And because we were just near, near a hospital, I'm like, oh my God. So here I was in the middle of this game of Survivor and had a real life experience. So when I got back from the show, I got a pocket full of change. You win a million bucks on Survivor. And I got a little bit of a, a celebrity profile for a short window. So I really wanted to use that moment to do something good in the world. So I um, used that money to co-found Grassroots Soccer. And uh, Grassroots Soccer is a adolescent health organization that's using the power of soccer to educate, inspire, and mobilize young people to overcome their greatest health challenges and live healthier, productive lives. And we are currently in 60 countries, and we've put 13 million kids through the program. Awesome. I mean, such a, from a small thing of a reward challenge to now where you are with how many people you've helped, just crazy to look back of that many years and I mean sometimes we think about that in the broadcasting standpoint which is start out small maybe you get that little bit of you get your first um, try on air and you get your first time on camera may not go as smooth but use that and that's your your springboard and so yeah I mean grassroots soccer it's funny you say that you know when I was I mean, we're, this is our 20th anniversary of grassroots soccer. And when I was on Survivor, like there was no social media, <laughs> you know, there was no Zoom, there was not Instagram, Facebook, none of that stuff. And so now obviously, uh, you know, all this stuff is around. Anyone can be a journalist. Anyone can have a podcast, which is fantastic. And it's wonderful to see how this space, this journalism space has grown over the years. Um, sticking with the, the broadcasting theme, we had talked over the summer about you actually being a broadcaster. And so um, obviously with the sports podcast, we've had broadcasters on. They've told us that sometimes that this is what they want to do from a young age. Um, did you always see yourself as a broadcaster? And how was the experience of being a broadcaster like? So I never saw myself as a broadcaster. The only reason I started doing broadcasting was because of Survivor. You know, it was fun because I, when I won the show, I was known as kind of like the soccer guy. You know, this is the third season of Survivor. Don't forget, we're on season 43 now. And I was on the third one. So this is going way back in the day. There weren't that many Survivor winners out there. So the opportunities were bigger than they are now. So I got thrust into the sports broadcasting world which was great because i love soccer i love sports i've all i always had admired those that did it but i never tried it myself so i got involved and i started as a sideline reporter um and for mls and uh the los angeles galaxy then i moved to the new england revolution and was doing sideline reporting for those guys i hosted a show called fc fox i hosted a show called madison square madison square garden uh soccer report um, I hope did a, another couple soccer shows and most recently was in 2018. I was the, um, post game analysis guy for, uh, Comcast sports, New England, small little local broadcast, but I didn't, I wasn't good at it, <laughs> you know? So like, you know, in life you are good at some things, you're not so good at things. And I found that I wasn't really great at it. I loved it. I love being on camera. I love talking about the sport, but I just wasn't that good. And so, you know, I had to look into other things in my career. And I think for me, it was just, I wasn't, you know, those broadcasters, especially for soccer, the, the, the play-by-play guy, the color guy, those are, they study. 
the sport. They know every player, where they came from, their background, their previous teams, where they went to college, their stats. And I just didn't necessarily have the drive or desire to learn that much and be that good at it. So I felt comfortable in the sideline space, you know, maybe the man on the street, like I'm in the parking lot doing keg stands with like all the fans, right? But uh, just being in the booth with the real soccer knowledge and the play-by-play wasn't my cup of tea. An interesting approach where you started out as obviously a lot of times we'll have the sideline job, but were was the sideline reporting your first job in the broadcasting industry? Yeah, so. sideline reporting was my first job. Well, my first job was actually hosting the show on the Fox Soccer Channel, which is way back in the day called FC Fox. And then the second show I was hosting with a guy by the name of Shep Messing. And that was the MSG Soccer Report, like I said. And uh, that's when the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars were around and they got purchased and they then started calling the Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of my start was hosting the show. And then I moved into the booth and uh, a little bit more sideline work. I've had the opportunity to talk to many broadcasters over the years. And a lot of times they'll talk about college or high school and this is how they they drove it. And their uh, mind was set to one place which was broadcasting because they couldn't play the sport and then a lot of times they talk about I started behind the scenes which was I was behind the camera and stuff so really interesting to see that you just kind of threw yourself right on to camera before you uh for your first time and didn't go through all the the steps that a lot of broadcasters sometimes do but at the same time that may also help them be more motivated to do um, get into the broadcasting industry. Yeah, yeah, I got lucky um, to be where I was, and I said yes to everything at that time in my life. And this was something I wanted to try and see uh, how it worked out. Awesome. Going back to grassroots soccer, one of the big things you did was dribbling a ball um, more than 500 miles from Boston to DC. What was that experience? One like like, but also. What was the motivation behind that? Well, the motivation behind it was to break a Guinness Book of World Records. You know, I'd always wanted to try to do that in my life. And so no one had ever really tried to dribble a soccer ball uh, for an extended period of time. So I decided to dribble a soccer ball from Boston to Washington, D.C., 550 miles. This is in the year 2008 to raise awareness um, for the work that we're doing with grassroots soccer. And the idea was it wasn't necessarily a time thing. It was more of a distance thing. So we'd start in the morning. We'd probably dribble between, you know, 15 to 20 miles. Then we'd stop. And we'd coach a soccer clinic or give a speech or um, do like a little cocktail party to raise money, raise awareness, talk about grassroots soccer, inspire like, you know, friends and family and, and, and kids to go out there and try to use the sport of soccer to help others in this world. And so overall, the campaign was great. And um, unfortunately, I got injured right near D.C. and I tore my ACL. So I had to take a, like a couple weeks off, but then I did finish the race. I mean, not the race. I did finish the campaign, but I was limping and I was in a brace, but I was still able to do it. And uh, overall, it was a wonderful experience. Definitely something that many people will probably never get the opportunity, but like <laughs> also the spreading awareness was probably um, good for you and probably kept motivating you to reach your end goal because you were doing things along the way with for. Um, with stopping and teaching and helping. 
definitely. Yeah. I don't think, you know, if I ever did it again, it took us a while. It took us, I mean, close to two months, which was, you know, longer than I had wanted to do it. If I did it again, which I never will do it again, <laughs> I would just go straight through and try to finish it as quick as possible. Maybe, you know, a week, two weeks or something, three weeks. One of the key things that I've noticed from um, seeing you on Survivor with your cancer battles and then also with, with grassroots soccer is the word perseverance and how you keep persevering. And um, obviously it's a big thing and you face many challenges and you, I think, talked about it on the show as well. But how do you, what advice would you give to people like, for example, me, like a young broad sports broadcaster or anyone that just needs that perseverance to help them? Um, up the mountain well i always feel like every challenge has a beginning a middle and an end and so as you approach these new challenges that may push you out of your comfort zone um you just you know got to keep that in mind and understand that the further you get you know down the course um you know the easier it will be to kind of get over that hump and get to the other side and, you know, I truly believe in my life, the way I live my life, and you mentioned, like, I've been through a lot of things in my life, um, not only cancer, survivor, I lost my dad when I was 14 years old, you know, there's been some challenges in my life. So I live by the saying, never let a crisis go to waste, because it's an opportunity to do some really important things. So every challenge or issue or, um, you know, sad moment that comes my way, I try to use that and then accept it, turn it outwards to help others. Because, you know, focusing on the challenges of another human being helps you heal as a human being. So if whatever you're going through is this, and if it's a rough time, I highly suggest like looking to how can I use this horrible moment in my life to help others out there. And I think that will just change your perception of what's going on in your own life. Uh, make you realize that it may or may not be that bad because look at who else is out there suffering a little bit more than I am. And then obviously, if you turn it outwards to help other people, then like then you're helping someone and it makes you feel good about yourself in, in a really sad, dark time. Um, so someone who's going through journalism or trying to become a journalist, listen, you are going to have a lot of success, but you're also going to have a lot of failures in life. And there's, sometimes these failures are something you really can't control, but you can control how you react to these failures. And so sometimes I got really obsessed with like focusing on the outcome of trying something new, like, oh, like, I don't want to go kayaking. I, I don't know if I'll be good at it. So I ended up not even doing it because I was just focusing on what would happen if I tried it and if I failed. So my advice to you is don't ever worry about failing. Just worry about all the things you'll miss if you don't even try. And so failure is good. Failure is a good thing. You know, it might feel bad in the moment, but you can learn from that. Like as a soccer goalkeeper, like I fail three, four, five, ten 10 times a game. Like if I land in a goal failure, right. But I have to get back up on my feet. I have to bounce back, persevere, be resilient and just get back to hundred percent and forget about that goal. Cause I got to be, you know, there for my team and for myself. So that's my little uh, spiel on uh, perseverance and failure and overcoming challenges. Perseverance is in my mind, a very important thing in life and being able to continue that and so easy to start something, but getting to the middle and getting to the end, that's where um, you see the difference and separation between certain people. Yeah. And like, and if you are 
going through a challenge and you also know that it's helping someone, it's easier to get through it. Like people who run marathons for cancer charities or like I dribbled a soccer ball, 550 miles. Like there are days that I did not want to dribble. I did not want to get up. I did not want to train, but I had to, because I was doing it for something much bigger than myself. And that gave me the motivation and the perseverance to, to carry through and get through, through those challenges. Awesome. Speaking of soccer, you did actually get the opportunity to play soccer this summer for, um, during the Maccabi games, what was playing in the Maccabi games like um, for one as a player, but then also um, seeing the help community service back um, to people in Israel? Well, um, I played for the over 45 U.S. men's national soccer team. I was the backup goalkeeper because some, I don't know, some guy named Lee Popper was the, uh, the starting goalkeeper. Do you know a guy by the name of Lee Popper? Uh, that name sounds familiar, but I heard he's a, he's a great goalie. He's a great goalie and also happens to be your uncle, um, your yes. father's brother. Um, so it was really fun. Uh, but you know, being, you know, being able to, uh, play soccer at this age with a group of guys and we're all have the same philosophy. We're all training hard. We all want to win the gold medal. That was a really wonderful experience because I haven't had that experience since I was, you know, playing professional. And so you miss that. I miss, I miss the camaraderie. I miss hanging out with the guys. I miss playing. I miss training. I miss all that stuff, being sore, being tired, being happy, sad, angry, all that stuff. I miss it. So this was a really great opportunity to get back into the fold and just start playing again at a high level. And then to be able to go to Israel and play in the world Maccabi games, which is the, I think the fourth largest international sporting event in the world. And to be in the, you know, Israel with 10,000 other Jewish athletes all competing was just a beautiful experience. Um, you know, sport has the power to bring people together. And uh, this was just one of those moments. And walking into that stadium on opening ceremonies with thousands and thousands of people cheering and screaming for, you know, the delegations that are walking through was like, I mean, it's an experience that it's hard to explain, but it just brought, you know, so much joy and happiness to my life in that moment. In addition to playing. In and the I got to meet you. Right. So that was just uh, the highlight of my trip. <laughs> Um, yes, meeting me was definitely the highlight, but no, um, in addition to playing the games, you also had a few community service days and how was that one, just, um, the opportunity to help during this, um, Maccabi program, but then also, um, since you've worked, um, with obviously grassroots soccer. Yeah, that's exact. I mean, it was great. So, um, I was able to organize a volunteer opportunity for our entire team. Um, and like I said, everywhere I go, I try to do something, you know, to help other people. And so here we are in Israel and I got my soccer team. So we partnered with an organization called the, uh, the, the Perez Center for Sport, Peace and Innovation. And they have a soccer program um, that works on conflict resolution where they bring Palestinian kids and Israeli kids, you know, Jewish, Christian, bring them together to play soccer. And so they can learn about each other. They can meet people from other um, religions uh, because there's a lot of issues between, you know, 
um, the Israelis and the Palestinians over there in Israel. So there's a lot of negative stereotypes about both each each groups of people. So the idea for this charity is like the first part of the the first part of the practices they're playing separately. You know, Israelis over here, Palestinians over there. Second half of the game, they combine them. There's no referees. They got to work on their fouls and conflict resolution together. You know, they learn each other's languages and they celebrate each other as they score goals and they're slapping high fives. And some of these kids have never met anyone from that other religion or other culture. So it was really eye opening for me to see uh, this happen. And I got to, you know, witness how impactful. And how important something like this is and we're doing it through sports and soccer so great program awesome to be able to do it in israel um and bring you know that aspect to the rest of the team who i don't know if they've experienced you know that type of charity work before it was definitely an awesome um idea to bring that and then also the connection obviously you mentioned the israel and palestinian obviously um for anyone that knows the conflict it's been going on for a while it still has to see um something like this where you were able to bring people together it's just an awesome opportunity and um cool way to really feel that we're all connected through one thing which is soccer yes and the cool other cool thing was uh, it was part of the maccabee media program which i hope you join up one of these years but they had um recent college graduates and college you know, students traveled to Israel as part of their sports broadcasting program. So they had a whole crew of young adults that are out there covering cool stories, games, all that stuff, reporting it back for Maccabee. And so this guy by the name of Gnome, um, he came over and he covered the whole thing. So there is a video of our day um, at the uh, Perez Center. So maybe I'll send it over to you. You can put a link in uh, your little your little thing and have everyone yeah, link in the, the youtube video this is will go on to youtube on the cbj show we'll add a link to um the maccabi media that ethan was just mentioning nice um and obviously you've done this for a long time everyone has one thing where they're like motivated by something for a lot of us it can be uh hard work continuing to just be able to motivate past schoolwork if it, or professionally in job, but what motivates you today and how do these challenges you face encourage you um, as you move on? Well, I, you know, I touched on a, a little bit earlier and um, what motivates me is helping other people. It sounds so cliche, but I truly believe that I, you know, I'm a, a, I'm an enriched human being when I am able to, you know, help someone else through a hard time. And so a lot of everything I do in my life does have a charitable component to it. And uh, that's kind of what, you know, makes me the, the happiest and my cats. I love my cats. Well, um, you mentioned you're working with grassroots soccer. Is there a way people could learn a little bit more or find out more about grassroots soccer? Sure. You can visit grassrootsoccer.org. Um, and uh, the cool thing is we have a limited edition 20th anniversary commemorative soccer jersey being launched in a couple months. So it's really cool. And, uh, you know, it's going to be the hottest jersey on the market. So stay tuned. And uh, obviously the donation you make goes to help grassroots soccer. And then you get a cool soccer jersey in return. So keep an eye out for that.
Awesome. And you get a sneak preview of that here on the CBJ show. So that's why you should uh, listen in. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for our interview with Ethan Zahn. Thank you, Ethan, for taking the time to talk to us about grassroots soccer and uh, obviously perseverance through uh, whatever motivates you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, if anyone has any questions or anything i'm pretty accessible hit me up on instagram at ethan zahn and uh thanks for having me awesome thank you continuing with the episode we are going to be talking nfl for the rest of the episode well only i will be talking the nfl because there's no one next to me um but uh, first, want to thank Ethan Zahn for coming on. It was a pleasure talking with him about grassroots soccer. Everything in that interview, um, that interview will be attached to this episode so you, so you can listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Um, and then also a video version of the interview will be on YouTube at CBJ Show. And now include any of the links that um, we talked about in the interview. All right. Moving on, we're going to talk NFL. Um, week one was not good for me. I got zero correct picks. I can tell you that that has changed. I have finally corrected, um, picked correctly. I will say the biggest thing that I found as a surprise was we started the week, week three, with six undefeated teams and seven winless teams. Now we're – this is after the Thursday night football game between the Dolphins and um, uh, Bengals. Sorry, Dolphins and Bengals. We're now down to the only undefeated team, the Philadelphia Eagles, who will play tomorrow. Um, this will go up, I think, Saturday, October 1st evening. So that weekend, week four, Sunday slate is happening. A little bit less than 24 hours from when this is being recorded. Um, but right now, they're the only undefeated team and the only winless teams are the Texans, Houston Texans, and Las Vegas Raiders. So crazy to think that we went from six undefeated, seven winless, to now one undefeated, two winless. Technically, there was two, but we all know, we all saw. I think the biggest headline from week four so far is Tua Tungavailola having that injury. Um, not going to go into detail about that because we're still learning a lot of stuff, but, um, definitely interesting, um, what's going to happen with that, but we're all, uh, but that means there's only one undefeated team, the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what's most important. Predictions. Um, let's start off here. Okay. So Brady, Brady Rogers met for the fifth. For just the fifth time. That was not an exciting game. My opinion on the Bucs. This is only going to be my opinion. This is Brandon's opinion, by the way. I'm going to figure that out. It's just Brandon here today on episode 46. But um, I, I don't understand what's going on with Brady and the Bucs. He just cannot get chemistry. I don't know if it's he has no wide receivers or if it's the coaching staff with Todd Bowles in charge. I don't know. but. They have not looked the same. They have not been scoring as much as they have in past years. They have not just, they just have not been doing what I think, what everyone thought 
we saw last year and what we saw in the previous year. That being said, me and Jason both predicted the Bucks to win. They were undefeated. They were one of the few teams that lost. Um, and uh, Green Bay pulled out the victory because Tampa Bay could not convert the two-point conversion at the end. So we've seen this. I mean, now the, the Bucks are 2-1. They're supposedly getting Evans back for week four. Um, but And they're playing the Chiefs. That's a hard game. So I don't know what to think about that. Should I bet against Brady or should I say, you know what? I think a bet, betting against Brady has not been good. Um, I should stick with Brady, but it's hard. I mean, he just has not been playing well. And so just trying to figure out how to, what is going on with the Tampa Bay Bucks? They're one of the few teams that I'm putting a question mark on. Um, that being said, we'll move into um, my question mark teams, what I'm expecting um, for the preview segment of the episode. But we'll just finish the recaps quickly with um, mentioning um, – or we'll, we'll talk more about the recaps here. Um, we also saw the Patriots hosting the Ravens. It was Pat's home opener. Big news from that, Mac Jones, um, he got – uh, injured high ankle sprains, what they deemed. He is out against Green Bay. Will he be out longer? We don't know. But um, this was a great game. First half, definitely I'll say. I mean, Lamar Jackson is incredible what he can do. He just runs around and figures it out. Him and Kyler Murray, I've always said this, probably two of the best running mobile QBs. They just move around, run. They make the defenses work. And, I mean, that's what you got to do. If your own line can protect you, quarterback's just going to wait, figure out, and then he can make his move. Huh. That being said, him, uh, Lamar Jackson, and, and his tight end, uh, Mark Andrews, they were connecting well. Mark Andrews got two touchdowns, and I feel like, as a Pats fan, Mark Andrews just destroyed the Patriots. But that being said, the defense held on. It was tight at halftime. Um, one possession, and it was going back and forth. It was really exciting, and then my opinion, even I know the big storyline is Mac Jones getting hurt. In my opinion, the big storyline for the Patriots was the turnovers. We saw in the first probably 60% of the game, first half and probably the first quarter, of the third quarter, I should say, um, we really saw the Patriots playing good football. That That's what they wanted. They were getting Devontae Parker open. But we saw Mac Jones throw three interceptions. One was the one he got injured on. We saw Nelson Aguilar got caught and just gets the ball punched from behind him. I mean, he's got to hold on to the ball. And, uh, I mean, we got lucky in Pittsburgh when Gunnar Oshevsky gave us a muff punt. Um, but turnovers, biggest thing in the NFL is a turnover battle. You got to win it. And, uh, Patriots cannot win football games if they're losing the turnover battle. We saw in Miami in week one, and we saw it um, in week three at home against the Ravens. So that's my big storyline. But, um, I mean, I think another thing with the turnovers is Patriots keep going through this 50-50 jump ball with Mac Jones and uh, Devontae Parker. He, he has not been able to win this for some reason. I don't know if, if Parker cannot be his man on the line 
or he's not as fast as Mac thought, or Mac isn't throwing it exactly. Maybe he's under throwing it a little bit, but he's not been connecting. And uh, definitely a key piece where you got to win that 50 50 ball and you cannot let the defenders win. But it's hard to say. One of the plays was crucial because it would have been six points for a touchdown instead of an interception. But right now, Mac Jones is in the quarterback. And in my opinion, it's the coaching staff is three headed monster with Belichick, Patricia, and Judge, who both Patricia and Judge suck, in my opinion. And in my opinion, I'll say this clear I think Bill needs to retire, needs to move on from coaching. He's getting old. And, uh, yeah. So, um, Jason got this correct. He predicted Baltimore. I predicted New England. One point. Uh, so, Jason got that correct. Um, Bills and Dolphins. Um, this was a exciting game. Probably one of the most exciting games. Um, this week three slate. I mean, all the games were close except for a few, obviously. But um, Buffalo Miami, two great teams. They were both two and zero. We obviously knew one team was going to be three and zero. One team was going to get their first loss. Big news, obviously, coming with Tua Tonga Vailola getting that injury, the concussion, um, back injury, whatever you want to call it, throw up your quotation marks for whatever Dolphins NFL football fans. But I think one of the big storylines, what I learned or what I saw was the Dolphins defense was out there for 90 plays. Bill's Bill's offense, Dolphins defense out there for 90 plays. That's a lot. So if the Bills are doing these long drives, taking a lot out of these guys. Granted, this game was in Florida in the heat, and it's still September, it, it, or it was still September. It's now October, but it was still hot in Florida. I mean, that's a lot to ask for these guys, and you're both 2-0. You go these long drives, and then the Miami offense, Buffalo defense, if they're only out for a short period of time, either turnover, quick punt, or they're scoring down the field, those two, the Bills offense and Miami's defense aren't getting enough rest. And we saw at the end of the game where Josh Allen threw a pass and should have gone out of bounds and then didn't have enough time to spike it for a game-winning field goal. I mean, it's, um, in my opinion, I think he should have gone out. He waited too long, but that's the game. The Dolphins are able to stall a little bit. And as a Bills fan, you may be upset that, that happens. I mean, we saw it with the Cowboys last year where they forgot to hand the ball to the ref and they were on the ground too long, but the opposing team can hold it. And that's going back to play management and timeouts if they have it and stuff. But um, in the end, it didn't matter uh, because they didn't get the snap off, couldn't even attempt the field goal. And uh, the Bills offensive coach, uh, he got a little upset and went viral. All right, moving on to the later slate, we saw the Bronco. Oh no, this was Sunday night. We'll move. Skip that for a second. Sunday notes are not so popular. That's okay. Uh, Rams Cardinals. Uh, the four o'clock game. This also um was a low-scoring game, like a lot of the week three games, but it showed that back and forth between Kyler Murray, Matt Stafford. These are two top teams. Um. They they are in the same division. Sorry, I had to think that for a second. Um, they will play again. Um, play each other again. 
both teams playing indoor stadiums, so there's no wind, nothing, no weather factor that's like with the Dolphins and the Patriots, <laughs> heat and snow, warm and cold, northeast um, stuff. But these two teams are playing in domes. They're able to uh, both know the weather. Kickers have an easy time. But the Rams' defense, and we saw this after last year, they got a good defense. Aaron Donald is one of the names that stands out. I mean, they just have that defense where they can help. Um, and Matthew Stafford's great. I mean, this is a championship team. Probably will not go back to back, but in my opinion, but they will be able to compete against top teams. And uh, maybe either this shows that Arizona's a top team or that Rams are not playing their best because Arizona's not that good and the Rams should have won. Um, I predicted the Rams. Um, Jason predicted the Cardinals. And then back to the Bills Dolphins. I forgot to mention this. I predicted Miami. Jason predicted Buffalo. So we're splitting there. Uh, or, yeah. And then the last game we had was Denver-San Francisco. Um, Denver pulled it out. Um, sloppy. Terrible. In week three, we saw the butt punt, um, which does not mean that the butt fumble is off the table. Still on the table, different category. And then also, um, anyone who saw that game with Jimmy G stepping out of the end zone um, may recall or may have seen a flashback to when Dan Orlovsky uh, ran um, outside the end zone for about 25 yards and threw it. And uh, there was a funny comment where he said, ah, I'm off the hook because uh, Jimmy G did it. But uh, no, Dan, you can't expect to run 25 yards out of bounds, have someone step one foot out of bounds and expect to be um, off the hook. But um, it was still an exciting game because the Broncos scored, I think, a touchdown. Safety field goal. I think that's right. Yeah, I did it right. Perfect. See, I remember these things when it happens. I try to remember when we're podcasting. Um, yes, they scored one touchdown, one field goal, one safety um, to get to 12 points. Um, and then going back to the undefeated winless team, I predicted the Kansas City Chiefs would be the last winless team. Jason Glick, uh, or Jason predicted that um, the Philadelphia Eagles would be the last undefeated team. And with the Miami Dolphins playing on Thursday instead of Sunday, the Eagles are officially the last undefeated team. So, little congratulations to him picking one out of seven teams. Um, on the other hand, I predicted the Houston Texans would be the last team to get the first win. And even though they're still in intentions for that first win. Um, they do have a better record than Las Vegas Raiders because with their tie in week one, it makes the Vegas Raiders the only team that started 0-3 this year. So there was that. With the total scores we added up, we both predicted three correct picks. So the standings, after two weeks of doing this, I know we're in week four of the NFL season. This is our second episode doing predictions. Standing stand, one win and one tie for Jason, and one loss and one tie for Brandon. So that's that. But 
Mayor Paul Cam from this podcast, CBJ Show. He's uh, not here on the podcast, obviously, because you would have seen him or you would have heard from him already, but he's going to be predicting for week four. But week three showed some interesting things. So here's a few quick hit thoughts. All right. In the New England Baltimore game, Nick Foles connected on his 57 straight field goal with an inside 50 yards, setting an NFL record. That's one. There are three weeks of the NFL football. Only one team is 0 3 as a Las Vegas Raiders, as I just mentioned. The last team to be the only 0 3 squad through three games was the 1959 Detroit Lions, who finished season 3 1. The 26 points scored between the Bucks and Packers are the fewest in the game featuring two former MVPs starting at QB since 2004. And uh, the last thing is, since the start of the last season, the Bills are now 0-6 in games decided by eight points or fewer. So, cool, quick hit thoughts from week three. All right. Now, this is the fun part if you want to listen. This is the prediction segment. Um, obviously, giving a recap is fine. You can find that on ESPN. Um, but we're going to talk some predictions. So I like to call this segment predictions. Um, yeah, spice it up a little bit this episode. Spice it up. Okay. Um, let's not do that again. <laughs> Spice it up with predictions. So, week four NFL predictions. First question is which 3 0 team is better? Oh, well, the problem is I like this question when I thought of this. This was before the Dolphins played. This was before Tua got hurt. But now, because the Eagles are the last undefeated team, um, they are, and I we won't have this as a predictions question, but feel free in comments of the YouTube video with Ethan's on if you want to predict. Ask if you want. Um, but I'm thinking about how long the Eagles can stay undefeated. I think they can continue. They play. Um, I think they can. It'll be interesting to see how long they can continue the undefeated streak. Um, as they are playing the Jaguars, who surprisingly upset the Chargers. But I think the Eagles win it this week. It's interesting what the following schedule is. They've got the Cardinals, Cowboys, Steelers, and Texans in commands. That brings the best thing to it. Um, my prediction is. If the Jags don't upset them, which I don't think they will, the Eagles are losing to the Cardinals. But you can hear you said you uh, can say that you heard your folks. Um, if the Eagles lose their win undefeated streak to the Arizona Cardinals, uh, I'm gonna add a point to my standings because I deserve it. Um, <laughs> uh, but other than that, um, here are the real week four. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, number one, Tom Brady, 10-1 versus the AFC, with the only loss coming against the Chiefs. This week, 
Brady played the Kansas City Chiefs, and who wins? Unfortunately, we're having a unanimous decision, so we'll move on. Uh, we picked the Chiefs unanimous, unanimous, unanimously. I think I said that correctly. Um, unanimous. Uh, we picked the Chiefs. So, moving on to question two. Question two. Brian Hoyer has lost the last 11 games when being the starting QB. In week four, he will get another start. Um, yeah, get another start, and he plays the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Does Brian Hoyer break the streak? And the answer from all of us is no. We do not think he's lost 11 games. Packers are hard teams to play. Lambo especially is hard to play. Um, but I just don't know if he can connect with the re- wide receivers and tight ends. I mean, how the Patriots have been playing, I'm not even sure this was going to even be a win for the Patriots with Matt Jones. So with that, we all decide, no, he does not break the streak. We have international games. That's exciting. So question three asks the Saints. The Vikings in London Town, England. Uh, this is the first international game the NFL is playing in 2022. In the two previous times the Saints played in London, they did win. Granted, they did have Drew Brees as quarterback, but they still won. Can they stay undefeated outside of the U.S. and move to 3 and 0? So, I'm going to start with Cam's answer, which is yes. They're 2-0. They are a decent team on paper. Um, They can win games. I think if everyone was healthy, which never happens in the NFL or any sport, basically, but if everyone was healthy, um, I think this is a good decision. But me and Jason are both going Vikings win because Jameis Winston is out. Uh Michael Thomas, the wide receiver, is out. And their running back, star running back, Alvin Kamara, is probably not going to play. On the other hand, Dalvin Cook is available to play and will play uh, Sunday morning in London. And so with that, Jason and I picked Vikings. Jason and Brandon picked Vikings. Can't pick the Saints. All right, game predictions. Question number Four. <laughs> Question number four. Who will win? Titans versus the Colts. So, this is a game where I think, in my opinion, I'm going to start with my opinion, which is Titans. Both teams, this is a very hard game to predict. And the reason is, the Colts haven't scored more than 20 points. They've lost their one loss. They The loss they had, they got shut out. And on the Titans, they did beat the Raiders, barely did. And the week before, they got crushed by the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. 41-7 was the final score. I just don't know if the Titans um, can win. But at the same time, can the Colts win? I think this is kind of one of those toss-ups that could go either way. I'm going to go Titans. Jason is going to, and Cam is going to go the Colts. Um... Can't know for sure why they went with that, but my guess is Jonathan Taylor. They're improving. It just came off a win against Kansas City, predicting them. 
But uh, I'm predicting the Titans. Brent's predicting the Titans. And uh, Jason and Cam will predict the Colts. All right. Bills versus Ravens. Um, two tough games. This is in Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. And I may be mistaken, and no one cares. Um, this game, I'm pretty sure, is in Baltimore. Bills, Ravens, two high-powered teams. The Ravens, with Lamar Jackson, just ran away from New England. And on the other hand, the Buffalo Bills are really tired from their game against the Miami Dolphins, in which they lost to their divisional rivals uh, and lost their undefeated streak. But um, I still think that even though Lamar had a really good game against New England, I don't think he... Um, gets cold at all, even though it is cold weather coming. Um, I think he still is able to play his best. He's playing like an MVP um, kind of person, and I think with that, he, um, the Ravens will win. Uh, Jason and Cam both go Bills, Ravens goes Raiders. Uh, and then the last game we've got is Broncos Raiders. Um, obviously. Respect to Coach McDaniels, uh, but also the Raiders with their talent, they need to get off the hump. And he's been playing the Broncos, who are, in my opinion, should be under should um, could be undefeated if they won in Seattle. But I don't think they really won demanding last week at San Francisco. We all think the Las Vegas Raiders will get their first win, and if they do, and Houston loses, then. Um, congrats. All right. That's going to do it. So, um, who knows what will happen? It's always a toss up, but uh, there's our week four predictions. Thank you for listening. Just also thank Ethan Zahn, our guest, for coming on. Um, hope you guys enjoy this episode and uh, follow us on social at the CBJ show or at cbj.sports on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. All right, that'll do it for episode 46 of the CBJ Show. Thank you for listening.